Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. All right, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I heard, who, who was that up there? Who said good morning up there? Was that, was that you? Good morning. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, it's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Vince. I am one of the elders here at the Town Church. I am the pastor over preaching and vision. So if we haven't yet met, I'd love to meet you. I see some new faces. Welcome uh, back to town, college students, if you're uh, settling back in. Um, Since you left, we decided to all wear masks. So welcome back. Um, it's good to be with you this morning. I want to remind everyone of a couple things that we have going on uh, just to keep us up to date on some of the stuff going on here in the church, and then we will jump into God's Word this morning. First is this. You may have seen as you drove down Wedby out here a giant for sale sign in the yard. Um, that wasn't new to us. We knew that was coming, so that wasn't like we got here this morning and noticed that. We knew that was coming. Um, we rent this space, and the reason that the for sale sign is there is because we are, um, by God's grace, and, and our hope is that we are moving to a new location. We have, uh, we're under contract to purchase the Harmony School, which is at the corner of Harmony and Timberline. Um, it's a historic school building that our hope is to, to be in there and to, to um, get us in a place where we have more, more space and really a strategic location. So that's Harmony and Timberline, and, and I just want to keep putting that in front of us because I'd like to be asking you to all to be praying with us and for us as we consider um, all of the details that have to come and have to be put in place to move in that direction. There are a lot of things that we have to really work through and think through um, as we consider moving there. So um, I just want to put that in front of you again. Um, that is the case to, for you to be praying for. And then uh, next week, August 30th, we, are, we do this every year about this time as things start settling back into normal, whatever normal is these days. But uh, we're going to be looking at our vision and mission as a church. So what, where we stand as a church, why we believe God's called us to be in this city, um, be moving forward in this city, that's next week where we'll just be able to settle in. So if you're new or newer with us, this could, be, this could be a great time for you to consider, hey, is this the kind of church that we uh, want to be a part of? Uh, I want to hear more about that. That's next week. If, you're, if you've been with us for years, it's a good time for you, for us, to really consider again, this is what God has called us to be about, and this is where we're headed together. So that's next week. love to have you join us again. And then we uh, announced this last week, we're having a, another church leadership course that starts uh, here in, in the next uh, month or so. Eric and Molly, Eric Reeves and Molly Morrill, they oversee that class. If you want more information about it, uh, see the information table. Liz will be out there after our time together. This is a class that, that teaches us um, heart perspectives on leadership. So this isn't the steps A, B, and C of how to be a good leader. It's more of a what is the heart of a leader in the church. And so if you're interested in that, 
Um, please see Liz, and we'll get you more information. And then tonight, finally, tonight, at our house, we're having a gathering for uh, middle school and high school students. Uh, if that's any of you in here, um, uh, that's a gathering for just a kickoff, to be back together again. So that's at our house. See Liz, she'll get you directions to our house or our address so you can get there. So that's this evening. All right. Everybody awake? I heard one yeah, and that's it. And that was Drew. So... Um, is everybody awake? Okay, here we go. Grab your Bible. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and, and turn to the book of Psalms. We are in the book of Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, if you have an app, go ahead and open that app. If you don't know where Psalms is, that's fine. It's right in the middle of your Bible. So if you can find the middle of your Bible, if you have a paper one that's there, if you uh, are on an app, you can probably find it. So uh, the book of Psalms, we are looking at Psalm 53 this morning. I want you to be looking at the text as we read through it. It's a short psalm, uh, but, but I want you to see, uh, this is like every week, this isn't specific to this week. These words in this psalm don't come from me, they come from God. They come from God's word. So this is the inspired and errant word of God. They're not things that I'm bringing up. These are things that are here, and I want us to be seeing those. Before we jump into the text of the psalm, there's a, a couple things that that I want to point out. The reason we walk through the Psalms in the summer is to really be uh, moving our affections to God. We want our affections for God to be growing. We want to be um, growing in our love for Jesus. And so we take some time in the summer to look at the Psalms. And you may look at this Psalm, Psalm 53, it's a short one, and you may say, well, how in the world are my affections for Jesus going to be growing after reading this Psalm? So it is a strange one. It begins, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So you may be asking, how is that growing my affections for God? So let me point out a couple things before we jump into the text so that we can have those things in our minds, um, and then we'll read the psalm together. First, uh, this psalm is not written for some extraordinary situation. It's not um, uh, some abnormal life event. So first, this is about real life. So if you want to write a note taker and you want to write that down, this is about real life. This isn't about the start of some world war. This wasn't written to, to prep a people for something that was going to be extraordinary. This is about real life. And here's why I say that, because I think in the Psalms we can begin to distance ourselves from the reality of what the, the writers were going through. We can say, well, that was them. I don't know about us. That, that's not where I land at all. Um, th- that seems extreme. I'm sure there are some who say God doesn't exist, like it says in verse 1, but, but I don't know what that looks like, and, and I don't know how to, to really work with that. So we just distance ourselves from everyday real life. So I just want to bring us back to this and say, no, this is about a normal situation in life. In fact, I would think if you're anything like me, this last week, your, your own last week in life, in some ways, puts you in a place of saying, well, does God, does God really exist? Right? We begin to question some of those things, and we think, well, I, I don't really even know. And if you haven't asked those questions, you probably have lived in such a way where, where your life shows you don't really believe that God exists. In the way that you try to take control of things, or I try to take control of things, it just shows that. But this is about real life. This is a, about a real everyday situation where we would fail to believe that there is a God or that we are in need of a Savior. This psalm includes you and me. So I want you to keep that in mind. That's first. It's about real life. And then second, the second thing I think we need to understand as we walk through this psalm is that, that we've got to understand that we're desperately in need of community. We desperately need one another, the church family. Now, three-fourths of you just checked out and you think, oh, here he goes again. He's going to talk to me about how I need to be 
in, in community, here on a Sunday or in a township or small groups or whatever. Here we go. This is what he's going to do. Well, that, that's really not what I'm trying to do, although I am trying to do that also. I'm not saying, hey, get involved. I'm just saying you need community. You and I need one another. We're desperately in need of one another, right? We, we, we need one another. In fact, I think maybe now more than ever, we feel that, where we've been isolated, where, whether we've chosen that or it's been forced upon us, we feel isolated. And I think now more than ever, we need one another. And, and for me, um, I know at least for me as, as your pastor, as the pastor here, I'm concerned about the church. Um, I have a desire for the church to be there for one another. That, that while, while things are upside down for us, that we at least have uh, these people, this family to run back to. I want that desperately. You may, you may be looking at this psalm or, uh, as we're about to get into it, and you may be thinking, well, how in the world does this psalm have anything to do um, with us? And I'll say it again. It's about real life, and, and it's about this perspective of, of a need for community. And let me show you what I mean by that. Psalm 53 is a communal lament. It's a communal hymn written for the people of God, written to the people of God, written about the people of God together. This is not David saying, I will call upon the Lord, or God, hear my cry. This is David saying, this is for us. This is a communal lament, the community of God coming together. It's a people together, corporate, communal. In the, in the midst of evil, the evil in which we live, the everyday sort of evils that we live in, we together need God. So it's a communal song. In fact, I'll just put the outline in front of us. So if you are a note taker, here's what it is. Here's what I think we see. Evil exists. So does God. It's going to be really simple. Evil exists. So does God. And God wins. I'll just tell you the end of the story now. God wins, right? Evil exists. So does God. God wins. And so this morning, I want to read the psalm together aloud. I'll read it. You can follow along. I'm going to invite you, if you're able this morning, to stand with me as, as we read. Um, go ahead and do that now, if you're able to do that. I'll read through the psalm. You can follow along in your Bibles. It's uh, six verses, so it's not a long time to stand. So hear the Word of God. It says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when God restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. With that outline in mind, let's look at Psalm 53. Psalm 53 mirrors Psalm 14 almost word for word. So if you've looked at Psalm 14, you kind of see some, some similar things. The first three verses of this psalm describe the person who is coming after God's people, right? Evil exists. 
We see it. Evil exists, and it often manifests itself in and through others who are against God and His ways. And so David, the author of the psalm, gives us quite the description of the one who is against God and His people. First, he says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now David is not calling out atheists. So don't read this and think, ah, David's going after atheists. That's what he's doing. That's not what he's saying. Rather, what he's saying is this person believes if there is a God... If there is a God, that God doesn't really care what's going on and has no standard for right or wrong, and I can just do whatever I want. So it's not a, a statement about a- atheism. It's a statement about how the person views the God who does really exist. And I think we see that most in what's immediately following. The fool believes there is no God. That's evidenced how in the fact that they are corrupt. And the fact that there isn't really a God that they would think who has any authority, especially when it comes to how things go here on earth. So I'll just do whatever I want. I'll do whatever I want. I'll, I'll, I'll act in any evil way I want. I'll do all sorts of evil, wicked, unwise, ungodly things, and I'll do them because who is going to stop me? Verse 2, God's looking to see if anyone is seeking him. And verse 3, guess what? There's not. Right? That's what he's saying. Is there anyone seeking me? Nope, there isn't. Listen, friends, evil exists. And it's not just some ambiguous force out there that there's this enemy of God who wants nothing more than to kill and to destroy. Have you thought about this? That, that God has an enemy and that enemy um, does not want God to have any fame. He does not want God to have any recognition. He does not want God to have any honor. He does not want God to have any power or authority at all. There are some who will turn away from godly wisdom to their own way, to their own evil schemes of the enemy. And so we see that. There are some who are like that. Evil exists. And I think at times, especially in a relatively safe country, in a relatively safe state, in a relatively safe city, at times, I think we often think, sure, evil exists out there somewhere right? It, we, we get it. Evil exists. There's oppression. There's persecution. It exists, but I've not really experienced that. And we begin to distance ourselves from evil. And I think this is exactly what the enemy wants us to believe. He, he wants us to, to let our guard down and believe that theoretically evil exists, this big, bad, abnormal thing out there, when in reality, Those who believe God has no authority are all around us, and that creeps into our own hearts as well. So let's not distance ourselves from evil out there. Let's say, no, no, no. Evil exists, and sometimes it gets at us. I think our tendency at times is to believe that those people, you know, those evil people out there are are out there, but, but we're not like them. But Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament... It reminds the church, hear that? Reminds the church, the people of God in Romans 3, that this is us as well. The church, Paul uses this psalm, Psalm 53, to, to condemn us all. No one gets away. In, in, in Romans 3, starting in verse 10, Paul says, using this psalm, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. This is Paul writing to the church, including them, un- including the church with, with unbelieving people. He's saying, he's saying are, are we any better? But let's bring that in. No one in and of themselves does anything good. No one understands, no one seeks God, not, not 
one person, not you or me. This is Paul to the church. It's an understanding that evil exists and that aside from the grace of God, we would all be head over heels in opposition to God. Understanding that, truly understanding that, that and, and believing that evil is a true and everyday reality. Understanding that helps us in understanding the gospel applied to our own hearts, doesn't it? Because if we think that evil is just out there and it doesn't really affect me, then we don't really need the gospel. And so it, it helps us apply the gospel to our own heart. So yes, evil exists, but I would say, and the psalm says, so does God. And if evil exists and so does God, then God will not allow evil to persist. God will not allow evil to continue on. David describes the one in Psalm 53 who opposes God. He continues to describe this evil. He says in verse 4, these evildoers who oppress God's people, they do not call upon God. The God who absolutely exists, they're not calling upon Him. Yeah, evil exists, but so does God. God exists, and and while this may be hard for us to understand, for us to get our our brains around, it's terrifying. I don't think we often think about this. It's terrifying to be on the opposing side of God. The, The psalm tells us that they stand in terror, in fear. He will come against them, scattering their bones, putting them to shame as they reject God. He exists in such a way that they, they will be shown clearly that, that evil exists and so does God. And God says, for the faithful worshipers of me, I am for them. And verse 6 finishes out this short communal hymn saying, yeah, evil exists, but so does God. And He's a present help. He's a refuge now. In fact, Psalm 14 really plays out that refuge part. It, it uses the word that, the refuge, that God is a, a refuge. And one of the ways that we can know and realize that he is a refuge now is because of what we know of him into eternity. Not just now, but into eternity. We may not feel God's presence. We may not be experiencing him as a refuge right now, but he is. And because of Christ, the one who died, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who's now at the right hand of God interceding for us, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that yes, evil exists and so does God. And because of Christ, God wins. Right? God wins. I think we've got to hear that. When we let that sink in that God wins, evil does not. The enemy does not win does not and cannot. And I would say to you, wherever you're sitting this morning, whatever you walked in here with this morning, can I just remind you, remind us that that our sin does not win over. That God has provided Jesus in, in such a way that even our sin does not win. Nothing in all of creation will overcome God's victory because of Jesus. God wins. Do you hear that? You say that with me, right? God, God wins. Come on, people. Are, is anybody awake? Your masks are on, but I can still see your eyes, right? Let's say it. God wins, right? God absolutely wins. We say it so that we hear it and, and allow that to sink in. The, the people in this psalm collectively sing together in verse 6, Oh, that salvation uh, for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let, let Israel be glad. Or in other words, let the people of God rejoice and be glad because God wins. God, we, we know you win. We know you save. Show us favor. We know the victory is yours. And, and then it comes to your people. Collectively, it comes to your people. Collectively in community, they rejoice and they're glad. This is a communal 
psalm, a communal hymn. Collectively, the people plead with God to protect, to restore, to save, and collectively, in community, they rejoice and they're glad. Think about the flow of this, that evil exists. So just hear that first part. Evil exists. And if that was the end of the story... If the story was, once upon a time, evil exists, and that was the end of the story, then I think I would completely understand how we would isolate ourselves. How we would just put our heads down and get to work, every man and woman for himself, I'm going to defeat this on my own, I've just got to dig in. If we knew that the end of the story was evil exists, and we would just use and abuse others to help fight against that evil in whatever way I knew, personally, I knew that I could, so I, I get that. But that's not where the story ends. Evil exists, so does God. God wins, sending His Son to conquer. And and if that's true, and it absolutely is true, why would we not then collectively gather in community with others to rejoice in that? To to sing of that? to, To rally around that? It seems absurd to understand that God wins, that He sent His Son to conquer sin and death so that we could be in relationship with Him, and He did that for a people. Doesn't it seem then absurd that we would isolate ourselves and not be in community? If God did that for a people, right? There's no biblical category for individualistic salvation, right? That God saved me. No, He saved us as a people. Yeah, you're a part of that. There's no category, no biblical category for individualistic salvation or or individualistic relationship with God, that our relationship with God is meant to be for the people. This is something worthy of collective communal celebration. Now, I don't mean to say that the evil around us is not discouraging, disheartening, that gets at us in some ways, it doesn't make an impact on us. It, It absolutely does, and because it does, We've got to remember that God has brought us into His family together. That we're in this together. That we're not alone. God has brought us into this family together and that's worthy of celebration. In belief, God has brought you in. Now remember, back to what Paul said in Romans, that that collectively the people of God, collectively, he says to them, yes, evil exists and there's not one of us that escapes us or, or is not involved in that in some way. We're in desperate need. He, he just pushes it out there, Paul does, knowing that evil exists ought to turn us not away from God, but to him, because God exists, and not only does God exist, but God wins, and he wins by sending his son to take the penalty of, of sin, and, and by doing that, conquering sin and death, bringing redemption. This is exactly Paul's point in Romans 3. This is what he's getting at in Romans 3. So he, he goes on in that argument, right after he quotes the psalm, what, what does he say? He says, for all have sinned. This is to the church. Remember this. This is to the people of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You and I have sinned. We're marked by sin. We are declared guilty but that's not the end of the story. The, the grace of God was given and we in faith now are declared righteous. That's justification. We're declared something we ought not to be declared. We're declared righteous because of Jesus' victory. Now can I just ask as we finish out, can I just ask you this morning, do you feel the weight 
of sin this morning? Do you feel it? Maybe you feel it out there. Maybe that is you. you. Yep, I feel the weight of sin out there. Maybe for you, you walked into this place feeling the weight of your own sin. I don't know what you walked in from this week. Maybe this week has been a bad one for you, and you've just sort of um, given in over and over, and you feel that. Maybe for you, God's placed someone in your life to help you feel the weight of your sin. Right? If you have a spouse, your spouse has helped you feel the weight of your own sin, or friends around you have helped you recognize, yeah, I feel the weight of that. Do you feel the weight of your own sin this morning? That's why we, we begin our times together con- in confession. God, I, I know that I've sinned against you this week. Do we feel the weight of that, that we fall short of meeting the standard that God has put in front of us? Do you feel that? Now, if so, let me, let me also put this in front of us to hear. We need to hear this. In Christ, in faith in Christ, you are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption of Jesus. As you feel the weight of sin, my hope and my prayer is that you also feel that weight lifted in Christ because he wins. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to pray in that direction, that we would feel both the weight of our sin, but also the weight of that sin lifted. And that we wouldn't just do that individually, but we would be thinking about our, our own community, our own church family. Can I, can I ask um, some of you this? If you're a part of our church family and you have been for a while, and as you've looked around over the last weeks in our small groups or here on our Sunday gatherings or just from interactions that you've had, and you begin to notice, you know what, I haven't seen that person or that person for a long time. Where is my family? Where is my community? Can I ask that as God, as the Spirit brings those people to mind, that you would pray for them, not judge them. That's where our hearts often go. Where are they? Right? But, but pray that God would um, put in them a desire to be in community, that they would have a, a desire, that you would. Because maybe you walked in here today and think, oh, I'll give it a try. You absolutely need the church family around you. We need one another if we're going to step into a place where we know that evil exists and God does and, and he wins. We need one another. And so as we pray together, I want to give you some time to consider that. And then I want to give us some time to consider and celebrate together the finished work of Jesus. If you're new or newer with us, we do this every week where we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper together every single week. It's the exclamation point on, on the gospel for us, that we get to remember that, the, that Jesus finished the work, that he gave his life, that he took on our sin, your sin, the sins that you and I have committed even this morning, took that on, paid the penalty for that. And in faith now, we get life with God. That should blow our minds collectively, that we get life with God in, in a favorable way. And so we celebrate that every week. Jesus uh, broke bread and shared wine with his followers just before he was to be crucified. And he broke bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He shared wine. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Giving them these beautiful pictures of remembrance. So now us, we, we get to look back and see what Christ has done. And we get to remember every week together in community. It's a communal um, celebration together where we get to respond. In, in what Jesus has done. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we would invite you, after I pray here, I would invite you to come up and take the elements and head back to your seat and 
remember what Christ has done through his broken body and his shed blood for you. Now, the way we do this practically, sorry, I've got to mention these things. Um, as, as we, uh, after we pray, you'll have some time to be right where you are, just to consider what God may be putting on your heart. And then um, you can come down, follow the arrows, take the elements, and head back to your seat. And that way, just so we can be distanced, remember that. Um, and, and we would ask that just one family member come up and take for the, for the family or, or pew or whatever that looks like for you. Does that make sense? So let me, let me pray for us. I'm going to give you some time right where you are to consider some of the things that God may be putting on your heart. And then um, we'll celebrate together. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word in so many different forms and genres that we get to read a psalm, a a poem, a a song that was written for the people. It was a communal song where we get to recognize some truths that there is evil, sin and, and evil reign, and sometimes in our own hearts. And that, um, that, that while that exists, you also exist as God over everything. And as God over everything, you had a plan to send your son to stand in our place, to take on sin and, and, uh, and die. Die a death that, that we deserve so that we could have life with you. Redeemed, justified, declared righteous. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of what Christ has already done. Jesus wins. He defeated sin and death forever. We rest in that. And Spirit, I would ask that as you bring um, others to mind that may have been in isolation and have pulled away from the community, that you would bring those people to mind not, not for judgment, <laughs> not for judgment's sake on our part, but so that you would bring them to mind so we can care for one another and love one another and bring others in to the community to to celebrate together and to walk through life together here. Would you bring people to mind so that we can reach out this week, pray for those people and reach out to those people to love them and comfort them and, and be with them. And God, my prayer this morning is that you would now bring to mind the things that we need to confess to you as sin knowing that you're a God who forgives and you have forgiven through the victory of Jesus. He wins. He stood in our place. And so we fix our eyes on him. In his name we pray. Amen.